Heavenly Father, we, for this opportunity we have to open your word, to read it, to listen to it and to learn from it. We ask that you'll speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob's life, it can be divided up in different ways. You can divide it by his locations. Um, he lived at home, then he goes to the north, then he returns home, and then he goes down to Egypt, down south. And in our Bible reading this morning, Genesis 29 and 30, it's about the second one. It's about him travelling north where he'll find his wife, wives, and have a family and prosper. But Jacob's life can also be considered in a sequence of troubles. He had trouble at his birth, trouble with his brother, trouble with his father, trouble with the decisions he made, trouble with his wives. Who doesn't? Trouble with his father-in-law, trouble with his sons. It's a life of trouble. But the truth that comes through even this is that God uses our circumstances, the consequences of choices we make, and even difficult people in our lives. The circumstances, the consequences, and difficult people to shape us his followers. <coughs> so we'll take those three points. God uses the circumstances of our life to shape us. Jacob has left home, and I'm pretty sure he felt that he was leaving his troubles behind him. <clears throat> and last week you would have done Genesis 28, where in Genesis 28, Jacob encounters God in a very personal way. God speaks to him in a dream, and in that dream, God makes certain promises to him and promises to be with him and to protect him. What's interesting in that chapter is that God never says anything to him about his sin, about deceiving his brother or tricking his dad. God doesn't talk to him about it. This is not in my notes, Sonny, but that means sometimes too, uh, God doesn't talk to us about some of our sins. He just forgives them. So now Jacob is travelling north, 800 kilometres, 
to the city where his mum came from and where his mother's brother Laban lives. Now note this. Jacob just happened to come to the right well. He just happened to meet some shepherds who were from Haran. Those shepherds just happened to know Laban. And then Laban's daughter, Rachel, just happened to be coming out to that well at that time. Was this a lucky coincidence or is it God's guiding hand? The Lord isn't mentioned in this particular story, not up front, but God is clearly at work through these circumstances. Some people think that when we pray and that we get answers to prayer, that that's just coincidences as well. But Bishop William Temple replied once, it may be coincidences, but this I know. When I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. God just uses the ordinary circumstances, the coincidences of life to direct us, to shape us, to grow us. This doesn't mean that there aren't accidents and that um, chance events happen, but it does mean that God is in control, that he makes appointments and that he redirects us and life. <coughs> That's what Romans 8.28 reminds us of, that in, in all things, God is at work for our good. So Rachel meets Jacob, Rachel goes back to find Laban, Laban comes running out to meet Jacob. Laban is a con artist, he's a tricky man. When he came running out to Jacob, he noticed that Jacob didn't have anything with him. No servants, no camels, no money. He had the clothes on his back. But this is his sister's son. This is his nephew. And so he invites him home to stay with him. Now, Jacob has met Rachel, and she's very pretty. Just like my wife. 
And then Jacob is going to discover that Laban has another daughter, Leah. And she's not pretty. In fact, the Bible describes her as having weak eyes. What do weak eyes mean? Well, it could mean that her eyes were not like a dark brown or not dark. They could have been soft colour. could mean that. Or probably it most could mean that she's got weak eye muscles and so she had to squint, sort of look at people. Either way, the eyes are important, as we'll find out. Jacob loved Rachel and he wanted to marry her, but he didn't have any money to pay for the dowry. What was he going to do? So Jacob and Laban came to a deal that Jacob would work for Rachel for seven years, herding flocks and everything else, but for no money. All of that money would pay for the dowry. Well, because Jacob loved Rachel, those seven years went very quickly. And Jacob was counting the days because the Bible says when the days were completed, Jacob said, now give me my wife. So number one, God uses the circumstances of our life to shape us. Now secondly, God uses the consequences of our sin to shape us. The wedding time has come, they have a wedding feast, but something weird happens at this wedding. The Bible talks about a law of sowing and reaping. Jacob is the man who deceived his father, who will now be deceived by his father-in-law. Jacob is the man who pretended to be the firstborn son, but now he's going to be tricked by the firstborn daughter. And Jacob deceived his father Isaac because Isaac couldn't see. Now Jacob will be deceived because he can't see. He'll be in the dark. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. It also says not to mock God that what we sow is what we reap. So while God in his grace forgives us for our sin, God in his governance of the world allows us to suffer the consequences of our sin. 
So God is working through the circumstances and even the consequences of Jacob's sin to achieve God's purposes. Now you're pretty familiar with the story. The weddings back in the ancient world would happen for a week. On the first day is when they would have the ceremony. They would be betrothed to promise to each other and then they would have a big meal, a feast and then they would go to the bedchamber, the bridal chamber. Then for the next six days, the bride and the groom would be treated like a king and a queen for a whole week. So on the first day of the wedding feast, they have the the marriage ceremony, they have a feast where they drink a lot, and then the bride goes to the bridal chamber and the husband, Jacob, will go later. So that's what So that's what happens. Jacob goes to the bridal chamber and the next morning when he wakes up, it's not Rachel. And you think poor Jacob. What about poor Leah? He didn't love her. But her father gave her to him. And Jacob doesn't go cranky at Leah. He goes back to Laban and says, what have you done? This is Jacob, the deceiver, saying, you deceived me. And I've got some questions that I don't have answers to. Maybe you will. Surely Jacob had gotten to know Leah and Rachel over those seven years. The way they talk, the way they walk, their mannerisms. How could he be so easily deceived? Maybe the bridal chamber was completely dark. Maybe if there was light, she had a cover on and she had like, you could only see her eyes, but her eyes were weak eyes, so she kept them shut. And wouldn't her voice be different to Rachel's? Though having said that, my wife has three sisters and when they're in the room next door and you can't tell which one's which... They, they speak differently, but when they laugh, you can't tell which one's laughing. <laughs> Maybe Jacob had too much to drink and he was just drunk. 
Was Leah a willing accomplice in this, or did her father just make her do it? Maybe she was just glad to be married, and she was hoping that he would eventually love her. And where is Rachel while all this is going on? So Jacob goes to Laban and says, you've tricked me, what's going on? <coughs> now Laban either lies to him because Laban says, we have a rule and the rule is that the firstborn must be married first. Now either that's a lie and he's tricking him or Laban should have said that seven years ago. When he said, I want to work for Rachel, he said, Well, you can't do that. Either way, Tricky Laban now says to Jacob, Listen, finish this marriage week with Leah, and then next week I'll give you Rachel. But you have to work for another seven years. So Jacob does that, he has a week with Leah, he's feasting and celebrating, and then the second week he has a second marriage and another seven days of feasting and carrying on. <coughs> what a lucky man. <laughs> Not. He's gone from having nobody to having two wives plus their two maids or servants, four women. And Jacob has agreed to work for the next seven years. That's how much he loved Rachel. He really did want to marry her. <coughs> but he ends up, he came with the staff and the clothes on his back. He still has the staff and he still has the clothes on his back and now he's got two wives and two servants. <coughs> now God in that dream at Bethel had promised Jacob that he would bless him and that he would be a blessing to the nations through him. <coughs> God has been at work in Jacob's circumstances. Jacob's been at work through the consequences of his sin. And God is now going to be, continue to be at work even through difficult people. God uses difficult people in our lives to grow us, to shape us. Just as God has used Laban to give Jacob a family, and in a moment he's going to have up to 11 sons, so God will use Laban to increase Jacob's wealth. <coughs> but note, Jacob grew up in a divided and competitive family. 
And so not surprisingly, his family is going to be divided and competitive. <coughs> Just as sadly, his dad loved his brother and his mum loved him, so he's going to make the mistake of loving one wife and not the other. But in God's goodness and mercy, his kindness to Leah, she was the only one who could have children. Rachel couldn't have any children. And if you read through the, uh, the end of chapter 29, you'll see that Leah has four sons. She will have some more, but those first four sons tell a very sad story. This is not in my notes, so he's winging it. Each each name that Leah gives her son is, maybe now he'll love me. Perhaps now he will come to me. It's very sad. It's on the fourth child named Judah that she says, I'll call him praise because God has blessed me. She turns her attention to God, not her husband. But Rachel is getting cranky and they have a quarrel. Jacob and Rachel have a quarrel in chapter 30. And Rachel comes up with her own solution. She says, Jacob, I want you to sleep with my maid, my servant, and the child that she has, I will adopt. Now that happens twice. She has two sons through her servant. And the name she gives those sons indicates her attitude. She says, I have wrestled with my sister and I have won. <coughs> and so then Leah comes up with the same idea. She takes her servant and says to Jacob, you can sleep with her and the children she has, I'll adopt and I'll be mine. <coughs> Then it gets weird. Rachel's first son, uh, Le- Leah's first son, goes out and finds these things called mandrakes. Do you know what mandrakes are? Yeah. <laughs> mandrakes are a, a love apple. They're a special plant. But back in that time, they believed that it, gave, it increased your sexual desire, but it also made you more fertile, so that you would have children. It doesn't do that, but they thought it did. 
So when Rachel sees Leah with these plants, these fruit, she wants the fruit. And Leah gives her the fruit on the condition that Jacob will sleep with her that night. And the Bible says that Jacob came in from the field at the end of that day and Leah went out to meet him and says, you have to come to my tent tonight because I have rented you. <laughs> this is one tired man. There's four women in his life. And eventually, Rachel does become pregnant and she has a son called Joseph. And Joseph means, give me more, another one, add to me. Now, before I go on, let me point this out. The Bible says very clearly, it wasn't because of the mandrakes, it's because the Lord answered and answered her prayer and opened her womb that she became pregnant. Mandrakes don't make any difference at all. Nor do black cats, broken mirrors, walking under ladders, or the stars in the heavens, none of those things govern this world. God does. He rules in the affairs of men. He works through the circumstances of our life, even the consequences of our sin, and even through bad people, hard people. He works. Well, 14 years have passed since Jacob left home. He came with the clothes on his back and a staff in his hand. He still has the staff and now he's got two wives, two servants and 11 sons. The Bible also says he had daughters and one of them is named in the chapter, but he has other daughters and granddaughters as well. So large family, no money, still has no possessions. <coughs> and he says it's time to go home, time to go back south. Laban, who was a con artist, didn't want to lose his son-in-law. Number one, because his son-in-law was a very hard worker and very good at what he was doing, herding the flocks. And interestingly, Laban makes an observation in verse 27. He says that the Lord has blessed me because of you, Jacob. So, 
Laban comes up with a scheme, an idea of how he can keep Jacob and how he can increase his wealth. And what, jo- what Laban doesn't know is that Jacob has already had a dream, that God spoke to him. This is in chapter 31, and it says that in a dream one night, Jacob dreamed of where the goats and the sheep would come to the trough to drink water, and uh, that where they would reproduce there, that the offspring, the baby goats and the baby lambs, were spotted or streaked or were a dark colour, dark fur. And God says to him in the dream, take note, Jacob, that the baby goats, the kids and the lambs are spotted, streaked or dark coloured. So the next day Laban is making a deal with Jacob and Jacob says, I'll pick the spotted ones, the streaked ones and the dark ones. Laban was pleased with that because they were in the minority. There weren't very many of them. And so then Laban agrees. And the deal was that in time, uh, whichever goats were spotted or streaked or dark, they would belong to Jacob and the pure ones, the white ones and the lighter coloured ones, and the unmarked ones, they'd all belong to Laban. (coughs) And then what Laban does is he goes amongst his herd and he takes out the spotted, the streaked and the dark ones and he gives them to his sons and sends them three days away. So now there are no spotted goats or sheep, there are no streaked ones and there are no dark wool ones. They've all gone. All Jacob's got is the pure white ones. And you can read the story. Jacob does some weird stuff. But at the end of the day, God controls the genetics. And these pure white goats and sheep were having offspring that were spotted and streaked and darker wool. And so over the next six years, Jacob's flocks increased. Because if the sheep or the goats were marked in any way, they belonged to Jacob. God kept his promise to Jacob. He blessed him. He gave him wealth. Uh, 
verse 43 at the end of the chapter describes Jacob as a person with a large family, huge flocks, camels, donkeys and servants. Um, And so next week, Jacob will leave. What does all of this mean for us? Well, in our circumstances of our life, God is at work. We need to recognise and submit to God's sovereign hand in the ordinary daily events of our life. God is at work not only in the big crises, but he's also at work in life's little irritations. God is concerned with what is happening around you, but he's more concerned about what is happening inside you. We need to recognise and submit to his sovereign hand. This is not in my notes either. I had my granddaughter with me this week and I write my sermons on paper out by hand. And she... And she came and grabbed one page. And she ran away and she put it in her mouth. When her mother took the page out of her mouth, there was a bite in the middle of it. And the bite was exactly where it says, God works in our lives, not only through the big crises, but also in the little irritations of life. So when things are heading south and you feel a little bit irritated or disappointed, then, Lord, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? Secondly, the passage reminds us that we need to trust God to be at work, even when we are having experiencing the consequences of our sin, of our bad choices. Thirdly, don't, this passage reminds us, don't run away from difficult people. Wait until God gives you permission. Because God is working through circumstances and consequences and difficult people to shape us. And number four, just as God blessed Jacob, so God is blessing us. And God blessed Jacob, increased his wealth, in order for him to be a blessing to others. So God blesses and provides for us 
in order that we, God through us, can be blessing others. So we need to consider carefully what has God entrusted to us and how should we be using that. Trust God, look to God, give to God. <coughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this story of Jacob. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn from his life and experiences. And Lord, can you help us to be doers and not just hearers of your word? In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.